You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This time, I think it was, yeah, because we wanted to do examine the country as a whole. Um, and by, by the progression of the end of the last one, the kind of message as it deconstructs the like legend or myth or whatever is like, you know, what happened to the dream? Like, where's, where's, where did the show go that we've all like built up? Um, and so this one is after that and there, you know, the dream is dead. This is the funeral for the dream. And basically just kind of the bleak what's, you know, re- like what remains after that is just, bleak uh we're fucked kind of uh feelings and and uh kind of examining a lot of the darker darker parts of the um country's history and identity hey what's up vox and hops heads i'm matt the vocalist of cryptopsy and the host of the vox and hops metal podcast brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts where i sit down with fellow metal musicians talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers this vox and hops episode is presented by heavy montreal heavy montreal are montreal's premier metal promoter and trust me when i say if you are ever in montreal and you are looking for a show to go to well Heavy Montreal will have you covered. They put on so many shows all year long, and they are all simply bangers. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves extreme metal, well, let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you're to encourage one of your metalhead friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Shane McCarthy of Wayfarer. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 429. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Shane McCarthy of Wayfarer and like Cottonon. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Very good. It's Friday night. Um, your your first single for this brand new Wayfarer album just dropped today, which is going to let people to know when we're having this chat if they're smart enough to dig back into the the realms of uh, release dates. It's Friday night. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Let's just jump straight into it. This is Vox and Hops. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing killer. Craft 
beers. Uh, what beer do you have on your side that we're going to be sharing virtually tonight? Well, at least first up, I have an Extra Good, which is a light lager from True Brewing. I'm doing my best product placement right now. Also, you know, it's uh, much more free for me. And it's good. So it's the best kind of beer, the free beer, and it's a good brewery. So it's okay. Sometimes you get the free beer, and you're like, mm, and then you, you you still drink it, but it's it's not yes. as much fun to showcase that you're drinking it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know if if you've experienced this in your uh, beer side of things, but definitely working it through. You know, we do we do a lot of like things in the mixed culture sour realm and things like that. And, um, and that's great. You know, they, they do a really incredible job with that program of our beers, but I feel like a lot of times people come to town and if they bring like gift beers, they assume that we want like the craziest thing they possibly have because of what they've heard about this. And it's just like, man, half the stuff I'm, I'm not going to drink this man, but if you give me a Pilsner, (laughs) it's all brewers. That's all they want. They want Pilsners or they, they want something crushable where they can enjoy a bunch of them and still continue functioning the next day. And hypothetically lighting tonight on my side, I am drinking something. uh, I think it might be actually the first or second time on the podcast. I've had this brewery. It's a very, very cool brewery from here in Montreal. It's a Masorum Brassatorium, um, metalheads opened this place up. I want to say four years ago, they're doing their fourth anniversary in a few days here. Um, people from Ion Dissonance, from The Last Felony, their taproom manager is Alex Arien from Despised Icon. Um, Orphans in Coma is Filion that used to do, that used to be the vocalist of Orphans in Coma. He's the art guy behind this. All their can art is just amazing. Uh, this is. An IPA. They do. They they do a lot of good stuff, but they they started off with killer IPAs, and I felt like having one tonight. So why not? This is called C'est peut-être la vie, which means it just might be life. It's an eight percent double IPA with Nelson Sauvain and Motueka, smashing those New Zealand hops. Um, cool. I'm gonna crash crack this, and I would love to hear about your very first beer, Shane. What what what's that first beer story? The first beer I ever drank. Uh, I mean, it was a Coors Light stolen from my dad's fridge, which has to be the story for half the people that answer that question. Um, yeah, and what I would assume is also pretty consistent across a lot of these. I think I had to convince myself that I liked it for of a while. Course. And then within a, a short year or two, there was no more convincing necessary. <laughs> and uh, my path to delinquency was in full swing. Well, at least it was, a, it was a cold course light, and the mountains were nice and blue, at least. Oh, yeah. Those mountains were, were blue. You know it was super cold. This was probably before they figured out that uh, world-shattering technology with the cans, but... I know. <laughs> guilty. Also guilty there. Uh, albeit my dad never drank, so, so I did not steal one from my father. I had to do it on my own. It wasn't a course light, though. Uh, this is good. Crusher, um, they've mastered the high ABV... Not too sweet, uh, well balanced double IPA games. Um, super juicy, uh, really nice color on it. It smells amazing. Uh, talk to me about the evolution of your craft beer palette. Uh, at what point did beer become more than something just to get you inebriated? At what point did beer become a part of your life where you're going to work in a brewery? What What is this story? Um, it really is all centered around true brewing for me. Um, you know, I I enjoyed craft beer. I enjoyed certain things that I would have had um, before then, but it was more that I was drawn to the place because of the kind of, you know, metal communal aspect of it, especially like in Denver in the early 2010s when I was first of legal drinking age, there wasn't 
wasn't much in the way of like metal bars. I mean, I guess they're still not really now. Um, but that was just kind of a place to congregate and like hear some good music and maybe run into some people who were into the same sort of stuff and people from other bands. And, uh, so it was kind of just going there because of that. And then learning about beer through being there and being like, Oh, what's this? All right, I'll try that. And eventually, you know, becoming more interested in it by drinking a lot of it. And, uh, eventually you know just through uh because i was already just bartending somewhere else in town some normal kind of full service food and and drink sort of place and eventually i um you know punished them enough to give me a job <laughs> over there and that's when i really started to learn more about beer although I, I admit like as far as the the staff of the brewery i'm still more the guy who's you know there on the end of the metal things more so than the beer things but i i enjoy learning about it and i especially am you know proud to work uh for a place that i feel like you know zach the head brewer and his team of, of back of house guys really do care and they really take it seriously and they really do something special you know there's a lot of acclaim for the beers and i you know, I'm I'm a little biased, but of course I think it's well earned and I, I know the kind of care and passion that they put into it. So I I respect that a lot, you know. Even if I'm 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 just there to pour it, you know. I just bartend and I put together events and shows and things for them. But uh I've learned what I have learned through them and I have gained a lot of respect for it. Hell yes, it's true brewing is truly just incredible. The the atmosphere, everything I've heard about it. It feels like home for a metalhead, but the beer is phenomenal. Every beer I've had from them has been just killer. Um, always like forward thinking, outside of the box. Uh, huge shout out to Dave Witty for introducing me to Zach. And then I had Zach on the podcast twice. Um, but it's all because of Dave Witty, which makes me very happy. Uh, the metal, metal and beer god himself. So, so I'm excited to come and play Denver. And I Google searched it. And I was saying this before I pressed record over here. I'm an eight-minute walk from the HQ, I think it's called the venue, to True Brewing. So I am definitely coming to hang out for sure. Uh, what is it about people and businesses not understanding and believing that embracing metalhead culture will be beneficial to them why is that why are there not enough metal bars and why is it when they are a metal bar that they tend to be filthy when when we don't necessarily need that to feel comfortable we we we, we like clean things where we're tidy people and in essence you know there's messy people in every subgenre so why is metal not embrace the way that other subcultures are i think because that's a that's a great question and i think um what comes to mind for me is that i i imagine people just kind of assume that with it being you know the more extreme subgenre and the fact that it is such a you know way of life thing for yes. the people who <laughs> like it like you know there, there's there's some people who casually enjoy metal and We're that's cool. all in but, but yeah, usually if you're into metal, you're into metal and that's what you do. And it has infiltrated and shaped a lot of the, the pieces of your life. And uh, so I, I think people probably assume or are a bit gun shy just thinking that it's like, OK, well, if we open a metal bar, then only metalheads will come there. And like how many metalheads are in this town and can that sustain a business, which I think true is a great example of like that is not that's not the case at all no because they've inspired so many other metal themed 
breweries and places even in Denver and Drew is still doing well. Yeah. And like, you know, I wish I could say that there was just enough droves of metalheads in Denver where, you know, we could sustain a business purely by serving, you know, Hesher's like long hairs coming in every day. But that's just not the case. But like, that's the nice part is, you know, A, if you make a good enough product, it doesn't doesn't matter how you skin it. People will come for the product itself. And then the beer geeks love the beer so much that they put up with the metal that's going on. And hypothetically, they might just, you know, become a metalhead or just put up with it. Yeah. And then and then B, I think, you know, as long as you're not like an asshole about it or at least too much of an asshole, you know, it's it's uh, fun to draw a line sometimes just for for the fuck of it. But um, with, with people coming in who aren't, you know, into that, then, you know, it's like, it, it can be either where, where people don't mind being around it or even where it's like fun for them. You know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a tourism thing. Like, I Oh, we're going to go yeah. to true. I hear it's this metal bar. And it's just like, yeah, we welcome that too. You know, anybody can come in and hang out. And if it's not your thing or, or you have a passing interest in it or, or whatever, you know, it's just a, a place to hang out. And I think it's great to have something like that because, you know, it is a genre on the fringe and for somebody who works there and also like plays in bands, it's great to, you know, like spread the word a bit. And maybe some people, like you said, will like hear something that is just like, Oh, I thought metal was all this, 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 and this, but then I heard something there that I actually kind of like, and it might send them down a path. Um, so yeah, to, to circle back in a long winded way to your original question. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that would be my guess that a lot of people are just like, Oh, you know, are a, there enough metalheads? just deal with metalheads and then B, yeah. Like I, I can't keep a business going with the, you know, hundred metalheads in this town and and really it's uh it's not like that if you make a good product and make a environment that's welcoming and you're like yeah this is what we do here but it doesn't mean that you have to be 100 this person to be here like you can just come and check it out and sit down and have a beer or two and take it in and if you like it great I love that. When Masorum opened, because of their metal history, I went there, and one of the first things I saw from them was their mascot, their emblem here, which is very metal-looking. And I went in, and they were playing, like, soft hip-hop and stuff, and I was truly, I'll be honest, I was disappointed that I wasn't a metal bar. Sure, sure. But they've done phenomenally well, and they know what they're doing, so they've taken that dark branding but stretched it over and open to way more demographics and it's obviously a good idea because they're killing it but then there's a brewery here in montreal another one a younger one that opened during the pandemic which is actually inspired by true brewing called mitoid and i actually did my 40th birthday party there last saturday and uh, they oh i thank you that they are totally really into you guys so so i got my metal fill there it's it's Nice place, light, crushable beers, extreme doom metal playing the whole night. It was it was very very cool. <laughs> that awesome. Yeah, especially hearing the light, crushable beers probably means that they were paying attention to us because that's another thing I like about True, and I think a lot of people assume you know with what they they view the metal aesthetic as they're like oh it's all going to be like twelve percent stouts and like crazy beat you over the head sort of shit. And like most of what we do is like sessionable five, six percent beers that, you know, are brewed with the intent of like, this is going to taste great, but you're going to like, you can have, sit down and have three or four and not ruin your entire day. Exactly. Or next day. Maybe it's like been inspired by the European festival mindset where like 
Wacken, Hellfest, all the beers that they have basically on tap are low ABV so that the metalheads can go enjoy a bunch of them, but still not be too rowdy. Well, they can hypothetically get rowdy, but it within means and still enjoy their festival experience. But it is true that a lot of breweries, when we do collabs or we think about stuff like that, they always pitch the highest ABV, most ridiculous thing. And it's like, I don't want to drink that. <laughs> really dumb. Yeah, I mean, this thing, I want to say, let me see what this last batch, it is 4%. And that's why, that's why I'm starting here. I, I have another one on deck that's a whopping... Six percent. So I'm really going to ramp it up throughout the night. But. <laughs> so I, and as I've like learned over time, is that I'll I'll start my night. I used to do the opposite, and it was a mistake. I start my night now with a higher ABV, and I work my way down, so that my later night decisions won't affect me as much the next morning. But that just comes with maturity. Classic Vox and Hobbs question right here. Um, I'd love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Uh, I mean, it was it was dad rock 24-7 for sure. Uh, both my folks were into, went into the blues as well, which I, at a young age, did not did not like at all. And honestly, still... It still irks um, you. <laughs> At times, like certain certain types of it, you know, like the the roots of the genre are incredible, and it's the roots of rock and roll and all that. I just, uh, I think it's the uh, kind of insistence on the the structure that so many like people who are blues for the sake of blues artists that will literally play, you know, the same endings to to like lyrics and things like that. That I'm just like, what? Why are we? Why are we still doing that? How many how many times has this been recorded? Um, but. I, I have come around to a lot of it, you know, musically just realizing, well, not realizing, but embracing what I always knew was there and just that, you know, this shaped everything. But other than that, it was all, all classic rock all the time. And that, that, that is great. You know, I was, I was down for some of it when I was young and a lot of it now for sure. But uh, yeah, my dad was a, a black Sabbath guy for sure. Um, a blue oyster cult guy. And then, you know, Led Zeppelin and and some some lesser things. I'm not going to give him too many compliments on here. He did listen to the Eagles and shit. That's that's his own fault. But uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff. And he, uh, as far as metal, I think you know, as far as he went was like Black Sabbath. And he he had the Black Album, Metallica. That was his Metallica of choice. Yeah, my dad too. Um, yeah, it's it's you know that's, that's very the dead, generation. Dead I think. But to be fair. I have totally come around to the black album. Like as far as like as recent as like this last year where, you know, I think it's like, if you just skip inner Sandman, cause nobody ever needs to hear it again, whether it's a good song or not, <laughs> they've heard it enough. And then you go from there and it's just like, you know, it's stadium power ballad, but still heavy and still Metallica. I don't know. I, I get it. You know, I get it. The older I get, I'm like, oh yeah. I, I think I now that I'm in my 30s, and we I'm also don't have to go that fast all the time. That, that like this too. Yeah, <laughs> we can let some space happen in a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I keep poking Cryptopsy to do that, but they they don't listen. <laughs> it's always yeah, intense. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to enter the power ballad era of Cryptopsy. Mm, or I don't not, think but, so. You know, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. How about uh, what would have been the first band? that you brought into the house uh, much to the dismay of your parents um, unless they were just embracing uh, your your passions and whatever you were into at an early age? 
I mean, they they were pretty supportive for sure. And I think the fact that they, my dad specifically grew up with like rock and roll and like he, you know, I don't know how much of this he wants to share, but I'm going to go for it anyway. He, he grew up um, and I think he was like 13 or 14 and his family, his folks like converted to Mormonism. Oh, wow. Okay, and he yeah. was already old enough to be like, what the fuck? No, absolutely not. And so, you know, he rebelled by listening to Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath and like, you know, pissing off his parents that way. So I think, you know, because of that, they were like a little braced for like when I started going down this road, they're like, yeah, well, of course, of course this is going to happen. I was, I've done this. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, so I'm 31 years old and I, you know, I challenge most people of my age to tell, tell a different story than this. Cause most everybody I know got in this way, but for me and everybody my age, it was fucking new metal that, that brought you there. You know, it was if everywhere. You're, if you're like, yeah, paying attention to music for the first time, and it's the late 90s, early 2000s, you're not going to start with Dark Throne or something. You're going to start with Slipknot and Korn and Disturbed, and that's exactly how I fell into it. Um, but I, through there, I quickly uh, moved towards, like, Pantera, and I think that was my first, my first, like, okay, this is my shit right here sort of sort of moment. Um, as far as the parents, you know, I think, of course, getting into like a, a slipknot phase at age like 11 or whatever, you know, they're like, ah, we'll see where this goes. You better not be a fucking juggalo. Um, <laughs> it was very vulgar. It's something that 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 shocked my parents was the vulgarity of slipknot because yeah, Corey yeah, Taylor exactly. being so goddamn good. He's very articulate on those early records and you can definitely understand what he's saying despite the fact that he's screaming in very intensely mm -hmm. yeah no for sure but you know i think they 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 waited it out long enough and it turned out not to be um too you know i didn't go down the worst possible road maybe not the best <laughs> one either but well the end of the, the band was was instrumental for a while until you started screaming so <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 for sure but no that would be that would be the earliest days and then yeah pantera pantera led to slayer and then that eventually and then it was starting to take guitar lessons um because i was a super bullheaded kid who like refused to take lessons when when i started playing guitar i just picked it up because i think because i thought the cheapo warlock at the cd store it was looks real cool, cool. yeah <laughs> and i saw saw school of rock and i was like that age and i was like yeah i'll start a band whatever and my parents were like oh you should like learn how to play it take lessons and i pushed against that until somebody like conned me into lessons by being like yeah i'll teach you these pantera songs but that means you have to learn this to be able to play that and then eventually i'm just unbeknownst to me learning guitar uh but anyway again we're, we're going off on a tangent but i think um it was taking guitar lessons and um my teacher which was one guy who moved to germany and then became joey who's now the other guitarist at wayfair um showed me a lot of the yeah so the cool. extreme metal stuff and that's that's what accelerated finding finding all that kind of more underground stuff at a young age was just having people older than me show me stuff i think that's so cool that that you didn't want to take lessons because it wasn't cool and then I think it's probably a, a, a different mindset maybe now with kids because the, the lessons are everywhere. It's not like having to go to do a school. It was like an extra homework almost maybe that intimidated you. What was your relationship with school like? Was school something you enjoyed? Was guitar supposed to be like an escape from that? Yeah, I think I think it was just like, you know, school was was fine. I did I did well enough in school, but I wasn't like particularly 
invested except for maybe certain subjects but i think it was just like in my young young age when you you know just have to take a music class as like a elementary schooler or something i just never never gravitated toward it you know learning learning the recorder or doing like choir or whatever it was like as a kid never cared about any of that and so i just kind of assumed you know yeah like i saw the spiky shaped warlock and i was like cool this is a metal thing like oh take lessons and i my head just goes back to like elementary school music class i'm like what this is mine yeah but again i got i got conned into eventually learning how to play guitar and it worked out i like that how about uh your first live music experience do you remember the first show that you went to go see yeah i do um that 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 connects to what we were just talking about the first show i ever went to was not pantera but it was damage plan because that's what was around in 2004 when i was finally pushing to go to shows um damage plan shadows fall and the haunted it was the same tour that dimebag daryl got shot on i think it was like two or three weeks before damn i played that venue Um, yeah the oh the one in ohio yeah yeah brutal it's it is it still operational now uh i played it in 2017 so i don't know but i do know there's Went like graffiti everywhere and one of the one of those places that's the hallowed ground just about yeah for sure i would imagine so I'd, I'd feel pretty weird being there i think how about your first time on stage do you remember your first time performing in front of people yeah i mean i guess the first time performing at all would have been a middle school talent show um and it was just me playing like riffs that i wrote really with like almost no structure i think i was just going down there straight to originals around (laughs) yeah yeah uh yeah again the stubborn thing i didn't learn many songs until later on still haven't actually learned that many um other songs but yeah i think i just like messed around with the whatever i thought was a cool riff when i was 12 or 13 which is probably not that cool wow just just Uh, you on stage with a guitar yeah, if if by stage you mean the floor of a gym, exactly yeah, with 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 the 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 warlock as aforementioned warlock and <laughs> and a, probably like a two twelve combo amp and just going for it. Hell yes! Um, sitting or standing? I think I was sitting. The whole thing is pretty weird and lame in hindsight. Where it's just like, okay, I'm just gonna sit on this cheapo amp with my cheapo guitar and like mess around basically. But you know, when everyone else is thirteen, that's enough to like fool them i guess i don't oh. know i i'm sure there's documentation of it somewhere but i probably don't need to see no, it no 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 we don't want to see that no unless i want well, you know you maybe want to see it but i wouldn't want to see myself do stuff like that from back in the day yeah yeah fair <laughs> what was your feeling like after that was it a sense of accomplishment did you think you killed or was there a sense of dread i mean it was a long time ago but i i i think it yeah you know like i said everyone else is also 13 so like <laughs> A kid going down there and playing metal at all was enough to be like, wow, amazing, great. So, you know, I think it went fine. Um, But, yeah, it did take me a long time, not because of nervousness or whatever. I think I just got distracted through a lot of, like, high school after that, that, um, you know, everybody I knew who was also, like, starting to play instruments and be into metal and all that, like, formed bands and played in bands in high school, and I never actually did. I, like, technically... Technically, me and the original founding guitarist of Wayfair were playing stuff together in high school. And we even under the name Wayfair, um, really? but we never, never got a full band together. Like we never got a drummer in high school. We just played guitars all the time and like tracked demos that were just guitars. Um, but yeah, I never played an actual show until I was 
18 or 19 was the first Wayfair show. I think it was 19, maybe even 20, somewhere around there. And it was with Wayfair, which is crazy. I, lo- I love this story where, where the your first basic show is now a successful band. I think that's, that's interesting to look upon. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, uh, for, you know, it was, it wasn't necessarily by design. I didn't have this like, Oh no, there's no plan that works. No, no. The... Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think it was that, you know, again, while my friends who were my age who were also playing stuff were like forming bands that just never came together on my end. Like, I, well, I guess I technically had one band before that, but we never played a show, but we played, we, had you know a handful of practices with guitar bass drums there was a death metal band called flesh bound i think it was 14 um but yeah a show sounds, never sounds came like together, a name that would be popular now yeah yeah maybe um yeah maybe i should resurrect bring it back. No, no, nobody, nobody <laughs> needs that i i actually i i think i even remember the bass player i think it was who had played in some other bands and he was like we should get on this battle of the bands and i was like we fucking suck. <laughs> we don't need to do that. Um, no one yeah, wants to I, see us do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I think it was, you know, like I I wanted to form a band. Uh, I just like didn't. And we just played guitar instead, me and Tanner, the other guy. And uh, but through that, you know, everybody else got to go and like learn the ups and downs and the what to do and what not to do. And so when Wayfair formed, I was the only one you know, who hadn't like played shows because the other guys had been like playing in bands since they were teenagers playing at like little battle of the bands or little this kind of showcase. So they like, you know, were able to steer me in terms of, you know, what to do and not to do. And for me, just like going and supporting the friends and going to the stuff. Some of that's like, yeah, I don't ever want to do this. So like, but this looks cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I got to skip some of it just by sitting on the sidelines while, they figured out all the hard shit, you know, that's good. That's good. See, that's, that's very good. It sounds like you were like cocooning and metamorphosizing into a better player throughout that time. And then when you came out of it, you just had to catch up. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know, maybe cause again, <laughs> none, none of this was like by plan. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to wait and watch and no, observe. It's just no. like, I wanted to have a band. I just didn't. Interesting. Um, but I, I watched my friends in bands and then, yeah. And, and it's funny talking about like, a better player. Um, I think I was like at a technical level, I was probably the, the best guitarist I ever was at like age 16, you know, that's all you did. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was exactly that. I was gonna say that's, that's all I did. And I was like, you know, only doing like, not only I was doing a lot of stuff, but I was doing a lot of like children of Bodom and nevermore, like yes, really like ready technical stuff. And you know, you listen to Wayfair, it's not like that. Um, and I think, you know, I think I later focused on songwriting more and definitely became a better, like, musician and songwriter. But as far as, like, playing ability, I was probably a better guitarist when I was 16 than I am now. You think about all these kids that, I say kids, are young adults that spent their time in their bedroom instead of at parties or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Dave from Revocation basically told me the same story, that he spent his youth in his room just becoming a better guitarist but you get to have a lot of fun now because of those times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It all, it all works out, you know, <laughs> put the time yeah, in it people. It, it pays off. Uh, you're dropping American Gothic via profound lore here in the States, North America, century media in Europe, October 27th. Um, 
it's an interesting. I've, I've listened to a few tracks. I listened to the single that came out today. Um, I liked uh, the blurb in the bio uh, that I received. That it's basically the funeral for the American dream. Let's start with that. Let's start with the the concept behind it and expand upon that because I, I I you should put that on a shirt. It's the funeral for the American dream. I think that's a good back print. <laughs> uh, noted for sure. Um, yeah, I I think. A lot of it is to do with kind of the trajectory of the last few albums. Like, you know, we don't necessarily make like concept albums in that, you know, typically when you hear concept album, it's like everything's like chapters in a story. And there's like, you know, some like linear progression that you can follow or or something like that, which has never been true. But we definitely um, they definitely all revolve around a big picture concept, you know, instead of like a, a, a direct like story. And I think, you know, each time we do a record, it's like after after the process of writing it and releasing it and doing some shows, it's like comes in pretty clear already what we want to do the next time. And, you know, we've integrated the kind of Americana Western sounds, um, I mean, from the beginning in smaller ways, but definitely with the last now three albums, um, much more. Uh, purposefully, I guess. Um, and I think that that's just because, like, the first album, um, you know, we were young, especially, like, I was young, and that was when I was doing a lot of the, the just writing by myself. And, um, you know, I think you, you just become so much of a better player with the people around you. But... Um, we also, like, I'm sorry to cut you off, but too, too, when you're creating something for the first time, you have to sort of, like build the foundations and then once right. you build the foundations and you know that this is what this band's entity is you can structure up outside of the framework that you've built and, sure. and then and that, lean more into things that you feel more comfortable with and you see what connects with fans when you're performing and through reviews it's it's an interesting thing but that first first framework that you've built is like the trunk of a tree basically and then everything that grows out of it can grow into different directions but the framework it all comes from that framework yeah no i think that that 100 applies and like you know the first record i i think it sounds a lot like the things we were into you know uh, and it's just yeah. like that, that that sort of thing and the because at the time we were doing all this, uh, definitely myself and some of the other guys were really into uh, a lot of this Denver sound stuff, like Woven Hand, 16 Horsepower, all this stuff that's like, you know, to me, the defining music of Colorado. Um, and just love those artists and, and you know, the kind of super unique um, thing they've carved out and like made made part of the identity here. But I think starting out, I was like, OK, I like that stuff, but I'm in a metal band. I can't do that, you know. And it eventually just started to like creep in naturally. And it was somewhere in the process of the second album and then definitely going to the third that we were like, no, we're just going to like do both and, and integrate it. It's who um, we are, you know, this is our identity. Yeah, yeah for sure. And um, yeah, to kind of circle back to your actual question, um, I think, you know, each each of the albums since we've like really embraced that path has kind of like circled around one particular thing. Um, like the World's Blood album was kind of the 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 haunted land um you know grappling with growing up in a haunted land kind of in the wake of a a genocide in the formation of the country and then a romance of violence uh kind of looks at the west as how it's viewed and interpreted by the world at large and how it's like portrayed and like 
mythologized basically um you know romanticized like it is in the title and so that that that's almost from the perspective of like looking at it all as like this big like dance or or film or something like that um and i think you know with this coming around to this album we wanted to zoom out even further and examine the idea of the country as a whole and you know just through through writing through coming up with the concepts and writing the lyrics and all that sort of stuff really it's it's just like concepts first like to, to me it feels like the lyrics write themselves because when we go into a song even instrumentally it's like already about something like we're really? like okay this is going to be this this kind of story yeah for sure oh, wow um, like we, so we that's cool that that. we're like every album for the last three the album title has been decided before there's like one riff written you know and like we know like what what sort of realm we're trying to explore and um this time i think it was yeah because we wanted to do examine the country as a whole um and by by the progression of the end of the last one the kind of message as it deconstructs the like legend or myth or whatever is like you know what happened to the dream like where's where's where did the show go that we've all like built up um and so this one is after that and there you know the dream is dead this is the funeral for the dream and basically just kind of the bleak what's you know re like what remains after that is just bleak uh we're fucked kind of uh feelings and and uh kind of examining a lot of the darker darker parts of the um country's history and identity but still in a broad stroke um like feeling of it kind of way not a not a re retelling of historical it's not a historical kind of way, accurate depiction how, how do you mentally cope going so dark is it something that that you can do where you're you come up with these concepts and especially this one being so 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 dark is the word that comes back to my mind and then you writing about it and creating and painting the feelings and the colors and the music uh, how does that affect you mentally um i don't know i think i think you know i think the music is a cathartic way to explore things like that for sure um so I, I imagine that's something to do with it. And also I think a lot of it just comes down to like in daily life, just being like a, a realist, like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a outwardly negative person, um, by, by nature. I like to smile and have a good time and like, you know, see, see value in things. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's like, the world is fucking insane and it's like impossible to deny everything that's insane about it and reading through history as well as just existing day to day and hearing about everything that's happening and seeing, seeing things happen and whatever. It's like, it's yeah, there's no, there's no avoiding it. Um, so, you know, I think ex exploring all this stuff about the United States and the West and all that, it's because it's an area of my interest. Like I love, I grew up watching Western films. My, granddad used to have a ranch on the western slope of colorado where we'd go for a week or two every summer and like ride horses shoot guns go roping and then we just like watch john wayne movies because that's who he was and what he did um and i think that planted a seed of just like i love that stuff and later as i got really deep into being just a movie nerd going down the path of like watching of the italian westerns and then all the like american westerns like the classic ones to then like the 60s 70s kind of like darker american westerns um i love that shit but a lot of that you know some of it is is like glorifying and, and 
you know, built to entertain and, and like paint a paint a certain picture. But but a lot of it, especially the ones that I like, were the ones that are examining the the brutal aspects of it and you know, not shying away from that, especially um yeah, the those kind of sixties, seventies, like new Hollywood um takes on the Western were all pretty pretty grim, like when it when it came down to it. And that's um yeah, that's that's where like this album came from. So it's like I, I love all that stuff, but like there's no getting around the nature of what it is so you know we're going to explore it and like that's always going to be the conclusion is that it's fucked up you know there's no there's no getting around that so so i don't know i think it's yeah i think it's just a a realism and and that's why it's an exploration not a not an oh woe was me you know of like we're fucked everybody give up it's not a it's not a dsbm album you know it's not telling everyone (laughs) to kill themselves because the world has no hope it's just like well let's Let's dive in and and explore what this is and what this means, and uh, you know, just kind of live in this headspace and and see see what comes out. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Talk to me about the production of this. Uh, you worked with Arthur, Arthur Rizik, correct? Classic, legendary producer. So talk to me about working with Arthur. Talk to me about that experience. He's a legend, you know? Uh, yeah, that was, that was fucking awesome. He, he's definitely the man. Um, yeah, I, it, it came together pretty naturally. You know, I mean, from the onset, um, we were having a discussion. You know, we feel like we've like been around the block a few times with the last couple albums and that we, we could just like you know, to our own perception for what we wanted out of the band, we felt like we were really close going into this, or basically we're at the point where we're like, okay, we're going to make like one of, if not the the record that is like what the band is, you know, we could like feel it coming up. And so we're like, okay, we, we got to do this right. Uh, we've worked with some great people in the past, but like, we know we want to do certain things differently this time. So like, who is the guy to do it? And I think that, you know, the beginning of the thought process, at least on my end, was like, oh, maybe we should turn to like a, a real household name of, you know, the bands that we grew up loving. Like everybody in Wayfair is a big uh, fan of the old or like middle era Opeth stuff. Right. Um, so we're like, oh, what if we try to work with like a Jens Bogren type dude or something? But then it kind of you think about it and just come to the conclusion that, you know, and it's not to throw any shade on what any any um engineer producer of that type is doing but a lot of these people that like built their name you know a couple decades ago um you know they they just may may not be as invested um in each project now because they don't have to you know yeah exactly that's that's exactly it where it's like they're they're always going to be 
skilled and and competent and like deliver a good product but like what made those records special that we love were like they, they went were beyond, beyond and above because they were so yeah, exactly eager yeah, they were, to make something and, amazing uh, yeah for sure yeah and that's what put them at the top of their game and uh you know it's you i feel like you can never totally see something like that until it's in hindsight but in thinking about who that might be today it was like Arthur's the, the only name that kept coming up because we're just like, okay, here's this guy that, uh, you know, he plays in these like heavy metal bands, which are like, to me, as far as the, the contemporary um, world of, of, you know, bands that are, that are playing like heavy metal stuff. They're like the bands, like eternal champion and Summerlands are like the bands. And then there's everyone else, you know? Um, and then, then you have like power trip, which, you know, I, I remember the whole kind of thrash revival thing of, 10, 15 years ago. And like those bands were fun and like I, I liked them, but it was not necessarily my thing, the kind of like high top, you know, party thrash sort of vibe. Whereas Power Trip seemed to have this like piss and venom that none of those other bands had. And and I think a, a lot of that was in the production of it, where it's just like, this is fucking metal. It's not just like, you know, a party tune. It's like something about it is like truly fucking ripping. But then, you know, even the fact that he has done stuff that isn't stuff I, you know, gravitate towards or listen to but bands like code orange or things like ghost man or this other stuff that he's done just kind of illustrated that he's like got a, a crazy range and um that's something that you guys need for sure yeah to for hit, sure to because, hit all you know, the mark definitely because that was the other thought process like oh should we go with somebody who's made like some of these like woven hand records or something who really gets the gets that side of things but it's like well you know if the metal parts don't punch like they should, then the album is dead, you know? And like, maybe someday we'll do a, a just Americana album and we can think about that. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So like, okay, even though there's no direct example of like, Oh, Arthur did this band. They're like us. We should work with him. It's just like, he seems to be able to handle a lot of things and he seems to rise to the occasion and, and, you know, make the things sound like they're supposed to, or, or like they want to, or, or that they could at their highest potential. And then, you know, I think the what sealed the deal was meeting him and that he is like the the a, he's a no ego guy, a no, you know, and, and not a fake humble guy either, because that's almost worse when you meet somebody who like knows what the deal is about them. But they're just like, oh, you know, that's that's just my little project there. And like it's it's bullshit. But he's a, a truly like down to earth guy. And, you know, I don't know. I felt right away like it's just like, cool, this is just a fucking guy who plays in bands who wants bands to sound good when it's, you know, his responsibility to make them sound good. Um, so we talked at fire on the mountains when eternal champion and Wayfair played. And it was like a five minute conversation where he's like, yeah, cool. We'll do that. And then and that was we, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fucking awesome, man. He's like, um, this was, I think the first time we like really solicited like producer advice, you know, um, beyond just like mixing sort of things um compositionally is that what you mean uh a, a few times compositionally we, we came in with the compositions pretty pretty well ironed out but there were a couple of things that we intentionally left open a because we like to fuck around in the studio and sometimes like just you know make little tweaks there and then also you had to see what he might have to say and definitely like vocally uh working actually that single that just came out false constellation that was one that, um, you know, I, I actually tracked all those clean vocals in a separate session. I We did the whole album instrumentally and almost all of the harsh vocals in like a two-week stay in Philly. And then we went to Europe and toured for a month 
And then like 10 days after that, I went back to Philly for just a couple of days to do all the clean, clean singing parts. And a lot of that was just because, because the way our schedule was with the other bands and whatnot. Um, I knew when we were leading up to the record that it, those weren't where I wanted them to be yet. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do everything else and give me a couple of weeks to like focus on writing these fucking vocal parts. Cause much like we're talking about with the metal production, like clean vocals, it better work. Like if you do them and they suck, then your album sucks. You know, that, and that's just like what happens. I have a history with that, but <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's probably not as bad as you it's think, not but... teasing. No. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a tough thing. Is that something that you've had to come to terms with doing harsh and clean vocals live? Is it something that you struggle with hypothetically to, to perform the clean vocals as great as you'd like them to be because of the harsh vocals? Uh, it's pretty new to me. Like we started integrating it at all a little bit on world's blood, but that was one song that was completely clean the whole time. And we never played that song live. Exactly. And then on romance, we did include more of the clean vocals, but you know, this was released in 2020. So there was like a year and a half until we, yeah, until we played it all. And so it was really this last like tour cycle, um, that we did at the end of last year. And then the European tour this year that I really even had to do it. And I was super fucking nervous about it. And there were probably times where it, didn't go that well but overall um it was good and i felt like doing it doing it on tour helped me you know get the confidence to like absolutely fully embrace it it for the new record record. yeah yeah and and uh to circle back to the thing with arthur that was one of the things that um you know i i had almost every song like where where it was gonna be with the vocal patterns and whatnot but false constellation um the the what i would call like the chorus parts was the one part that I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like this. You know, it was just like, that was like the last thing I was working on. And it's just like, I, you know, I, we really liked how the song came out. It's different than a lot of the rest of the album. It's much more stripped down and whatnot. Um, and I felt like the chorus was really important because of that. And so I think I was really overthinking what I was doing. And that was one that I got in there and like tracked everything else. And it went fairly smoothly. And then when it came to that song, I told Arthur straight up, I was just like, I have this chorus, but I think I hate it. And like, I need you to tell me what you think about it and what we can do with it. Is this dog shit did, or like, can we do something different? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we just like dove right in, man. And he, he had, I could tell he like thought about it a lot. And, um, I don't know, you know, was like understanding of what, what we wanted out of it, what I wanted of it. And also like what I was most afraid of, you know, going wrong with it. Um, and so that was like a perfect example of something that would not have come together the way it did without working with Arthur. Also, guitar wise, that dude is, is a master with tones. Cause that's something that I've always been like, uh, plug and play guitar gober, like gear idiot. Like I'm, I'm not one of those people to like obsess over, um, my, my setup and stuff. And it's just like, really, I just don't think about it much. Like I don't think about it as much as I should but I've never been that stoked on the way my guitar sound is just because again, I kind of just like get one thing and stick with it for a long time. Um, and so this is the first time, you know, working with somebody who's like a guitar player and really, really great with the tones that I've ever been fully satisfied with the guitar tone too. Cause he just like, we got in there, he had all his amps, we tested a bunch of shit and it was pretty clear what, what needed to happen there. 
So yeah, well, maybe great. it's going to end up being like the rabbit hole that you just fell down. The way you fell down the craft beer hole, hypothetically, this album working with Arthur is going to be that for Guitar Tone. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll be a I'll be a gear snob guy. Maybe next. you never know. <laughs> collabs i love making beer collabs i've made probably 80 of them in the past four years with the podcast i've made a bunch for cryptopsy i love doing it i think it's so much fun to see my logo on something you guys made a beer with war pigs at the metal and beer fest in denver back in december talk to me about that experience um have you done it before uh talk to me about that one and specifically what was that beer but yeah you know again just uh being overly inundated in the craft beer world with people bringing bottles of insane juice bomb dessert bomb whatever the fuck 15 percent apocalyptic beverages just like okay can we just make something good that you can drink a lot of um and, and funnily enough they first came back and were like oh we want to do a keller pills um which was ironic to me because like the best-selling beer at least at the tap room of true is the cold keller pills and so in my head i was like oh zach is gonna like there's no way he's not gonna have thoughts about this if he tries it but then they they eventually kind of pivoted towards like a kind of like a hoppy pills or like a hoppy take on a keller pills so it was something different and it was really good the tragedy of the whole thing is it was not canned and uh, I think they they brought out a few kegs and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but the, a couple of them were like fucked up, and I think they were only able to pour like one keg of it. So no I, I was able to have in and, you know because this was the day that we were playing at the festival, and so they came around at first like, hey, have this, and I was like, cool, I'll have a little bit. We have to like play. play yeah. And I think by, by the time it was over, um, there was only like I think I had a total of like two of these beers, which was a bummer. And there was no can, so it was like you know this this wayfarer beer that lived for all of like five hours but <laughs> it happened what i had was great so they you know it tasted great it can no happen again it. it can it happen again happens. which 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 is the yeah. important part shane i have one last question for you a classic vox and hops wrap-up question it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you enjoy light abv lagers crushers uh, but every once in a while it happens to everyone hypothetically on october 28th when you're celebrating uh, the launch of this new record american gothic um what is your hangover cure Ooh, hangover cure uh breakfast burritos 100 percent Potatoes and green chili will will stop any you know uh, cure any ails. I think, especially if you've had too many ails. <laughs> hey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, probably probably a Gator Light or two wouldn't hurt, but uh, breakfast burrito, green chili, potatoes. Live, live and die by it. Shane, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about your life, talking about music, talking about craft beer. Uh, I'm very, I hope you're there when I come through um, late September. Gonna, I'll, I'll let you know after we, we finish uh, this chat. I'll go do a search and I'll let you know what day. Uh, but until then, this was really cool. And I massive, massive cheers to you. And everyone go check out that new record. It's going to drop shortly. Well, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Uh, cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome conversation. So stoked that I connected with Shane. What an awesome, interesting approach to writing extreme music they have. This uh, 
westerny, weird, doomy metal is so goddamn captivating. If you have not checked out Wayfarer and have checked out some of the singles from American Gothic that's coming out, you definitely should. It's uh, definitely going to be one of those albums that's going to hit the top 10 list this year, I think. It's, they got something interesting going on. The concept is amazing, and I can't wait uh, to see them live. Hopefully they come up here soon. Shane, thank you so, so much for sitting down with me and having a chat. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox & Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox & Hops Total Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox & Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You'll also get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. You will also get to hear about anything going on in the world of Cryptopsy and the a lot of stuff going on with Cryptopsy right now, so the mailing list will keep you up to date on that. You will also get to see which albums the Vox & Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox & Hops' metal architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. If ever you're looking for new music to listen to, well... You should listen to the new Cryptopsy as Gamora Burns. Just kidding, but you should listen to it. Apart from that release, Jerry finds the best new releases and puts them all onto the Brutal Awakenings playlist for our listening pleasure. So check it out. It's available on both Apple Music and Spotify. There's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing. So please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week with one episode on Tuesday with Travis Sigler of Weird Leatherworks and Meadery. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.